I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board-certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. I'm joined again by Dr. Alicia Webb-Milam, who joined us on the last episode where we started talking about skin infections, how to diagnose them. We started talking a little bit about how to treat them. And today we're going to be talking about our different antibiotic options. So this would be things like oral antibiotics and, in some cases, injectable antibiotics that are used to treat infections on the animal's skin. Welcome back, Dr. Webb-Milam. Thank you so much. Glad to be here again. So in the last episode, we were talking a little bit about Carolina. She was a bulldog that had a pretty significant infection and some steroid side effects. And you told us about how we were limited in our antibiotic options for her. And so the owners did a really good job of clearing her infection with topical therapies. That was a great story. And the listeners can check out a picture of Carolina's skin on the website so they can see how she was doing after appropriate management of the infection, as well as getting her off of steroids. But I want to talk a little bit more about systemic antibiotics today. Topical therapy is really helpful and helps us to reduce the risk of developing resistant infections where our antibiotics may not work, but sometimes it doesn't completely clear the problem. Can you just briefly describe for me kind of the difference between topical versus systemic antibiotics? Sure. We talked last time a lot about topical therapy and that it's important that we're choosing the correct product and that we are doing the bath in a way that's going to be most effective. Topical therapy is trying to treat the infection from the outside versus from the inside. This is extremely beneficial in that it reduces our reliance on drugs. However, there are some cases of skin infections that are deeper or some patients and pet owners that are not the best candidates for topical therapy alone. In those cases, we do need to consider our options for systemic therapy, a treatment that works from the inside of the body via a pill or in some cases an injection. It's called systemic because once the medication is absorbed, it has to make its way throughout the body systems via the blood vessels to get to the target tissue, which in our case is the skin. There really are three important points to consider here. One, the skin is a very large organ, but there are actually not a ton of blood vessels there. This means that it's actually hard to get enough antibiotic from the stomach to the skin, and we often need to use higher doses for the antibiotic to be effective. But when we're using higher doses, we can see more side effects such as vomiting and diarrhea with these doses. 
Yeah, I think that's a key point to address as far as using antibiotics versus using our topical therapy. There are more side effects when we're using an oral medication compared to when we're putting something on the surface of the skin. So we talk quite a bit on the show about risk versus benefit. There can be a huge benefit with our topical therapy with minimal risk associated with it. And then depending on the antibiotic, your risk-benefit analysis is going to be different. Some antibiotics have higher risks associated with them, but certainly there's going to be a, a benefit to the antibiotic if we know that that's an effective antibiotic for the type of infection that the animal has. Certainly. The second important point is that while we are targeting a specific bacteria causing an infection on the skin, as we mentioned on the last episode, we are covered in various types of bacteria and yeast. And so we have lots of other bacteria that populate our skin and our intestinal tract. And when we use an antibiotic in our entire body systems, that antibiotic not only affects the bacteria on the skin, but also those other bacteria on our skin and in our gastrointestinal tract. This is one of the reasons that we do see the diarrhea with antibiotics, because we are inducing an imbalance of the bacteria in the gut. This is the so-called bystander effect. Yeah, I oftentimes will hear pet owners ask me if they should be giving their pet a probiotic when they're taking an antibiotic. And I've got a great episode coming up with one of our resident mates, Dr. Christy Yamazaki, all about probiotics and their use in veterinary medicine. But you're absolutely right. The antibiotics aren't just treating what's on the skin. They're going to affect every bacteria that they come in contact with in the body. And so we can see disruption of the normal gut microbiome because we're using oral antibiotics when we treat the skin. Absolutely. The other major point with using a systemic antibiotic is that antibiotic usage is a known risk factor for the development of antibiotic resistance. There are many reasons for this, and an overly simplified explanation is that when we use an antibiotic attempting to kill a population of bacteria, there's likely going to be some bacteria that survive because they have a genetic mutation that gives them a survival advantage against that antibiotic. We're not all the same, and neither are bacteria. So if there is a survivor, that survivor can then go on to repopulate the skin with copies of itself. And when that happens, the infection is now resistant, and we have to alter our approach to treatment. We really are in sort of an arms race with bacteria, and it's really important to think of our goals in treating infection, both in the short term, but also in the long term. Remember, we are primarily seeing secondary infections due to chronic diseases, and this is not likely to be the last infection that that pet has. So Mm -hmm. we really need to think about the long-term implications of any treatment that we pursue as well. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because one of the most common primary diseases, like we discussed, is allergies. And that really starts to develop in young animals. So you think about this animal that is going to have a lifelong disease, already developing infections at one or two or three years of age. If we use antibiotics time after time after time and don't address the underlying disease properly, that animal will then be set up for developing antibiotic resistance at some point in its life. And the stronger the antibiotics that we have to reach for, the more risks we have associated with them. So if there's any way to clear that infection with topical therapy to allow me to avoid using an oral antibiotic, I will strongly encourage pet owners to bathe, bathe, bathe. Absolutely. I asked you this question on the last episode, but when you approach skin infections, what is your approach? 
Unfortunately, we are seeing a number of infections with significant resistance patterns. I am usually seeing dogs that have been on antibiotics repeatedly in the past. So I rarely start with systemic antibiotics first, unless I am very worried about that infection being life-threatening, which is very rare. If an infection is superficial and pretty mild, I often guide a pet owner about first pursuing topical therapy alone. And if I deem the infection to be moderate to severe, I will submit a test called a culture insensitivity. This test is performed by swabbing the infected area and sending that sample to a lab to grow the bacteria and then do special tests to identify what it is and how we can best kill it with antibiotics. It's really important to understand, though, that a culture needs to be performed along with cytology so that we can interpret the culture because the skin is just not a sterile surface. Yeah, I tell owners that all the time. I think that's a really important point that you hit on. And if you're interested in hearing more about cytology, I've got a great episode coming up that's all about cytology with Dr. Ashley Bourgeois. When we're doing a cytology combined with a culture, it gives us an idea of what bacteria we really need to be focused on as far as treatment. Oftentimes, the culture may grow multiple strains of different species of bacteria, and each one of those strains of bacteria has a different susceptibility to different antibiotics. So when I am picking an antibiotic, I want to pick an antibiotic that is going to be most effective against the bacteria that is causing the most significant problems on the skin. And the only way that I'm going to know which bacteria is causing the most significant problem on the skin is if I take that glass slide and I press it against the area where there's infection and I look under the microscope and see what type of bacteria are those white blood cells eating. Those are the ones that I really want to make sure that I'm using antibiotics against. Absolutely. That's important because if we are not focusing just on the primary bacteria that's causing a problem, we really run the risk of using an unnecessarily broad antibiotic. So that's a great point. Tell me a little bit about the culture. How long does that usually take for us to have some more information? The culture can really take around seven to 10 days to return. In the meantime, I talk to the owner about getting really diligent about topical therapy while we're waiting. This usually consists of a special medicated shampoo chosen based on what I'm seeing under the microscope, but also frequently includes antiseptic foams or sprays or wipes, depending on the pet and the body area affected. The beauty of the diversity of these products is that we can really choose a product that has the most chance of success, the product that that pet owner will be able to do on a regular basis. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such an important point. And we mentioned about talking to your veterinarian if you're having problems doing medicated bathing, because some of these other topical therapies provide us with solutions to those problems. So sprays or wipes or foams can be used on smaller localized areas of the body rather than having to go through a full bath routine to make it a little bit less of a hassle for the owner to actually treat. I also think it's important when you're picking a different type of topical other than a shampoo that the pet owner communicate to the veterinarian um, about their animal's particular temperament. And I've talked on this show quite a bit about my own allergic dog with Cushing's disease, Russell Sprout. And Russell Sprout has recurrent infections because he both has allergies and Cushing's disease where his immune system isn't working as well as it should be. So he gets skin infections from that. But 
certain types of topical therapy would not be good for him. Um, He has some behavioral issues as well, and we've worked very hard to get him to a point where he no longer tries to bite me when I'm trying to treat him. So I know for him, any type of spray that I would use topically would come with him trying to bite me because Mm -hmm. he gets significantly anxious with a spray. But I can use foam or wipes without any sort of problem. So I think that's a really important thing to have a discussion with your veterinarian about is if you know your animal will be averse to different types of topical therapy so that they can help you brainstorm and find one that's actually going to work without causing anxiety between the pet or the pet owner. Absolutely. Because our goal is a happy pet and a happy pet owner Mm -hmm. and protecting that relationship. It's really a balance between treating the disease process and not harming that human animal bond. Yeah, a human animal bond. I mean, that's really what we're all about. We're trying to make these animals feel better so that they can have a better relationship with their family. Tell me a little bit about what you do once you get the culture results back. So after I get the culture results back and I evaluate it, before I make a recommendation to start an antibiotic or not, we check on the pet and see how they're doing. I really don't expect that the pet's going to be completely better in seven to 10 days. But if that pet is at least 60% better or continuing to show ongoing and significant improvement, I really counsel the owners to hold off on antibiotics, even if we do have a sensitive strain of bacteria with fairly safe options. And I'm really having good success with that. Yeah, I love this approach so much. And I definitely have been doing this with my pet owners as well. You know, we're going to start topical therapy right away because we know that that should be effective for most of the bacteria that we see and yeast as well. And so if they're getting much better and we're headed in the right direction, that then gives me the opportunity to hold off on using those antibiotics that carry the risks of maybe some gastrointestinal upset or the risk of disrupting the gastrointestinal microbiome biome or the risk of developing resistance with the use of antibiotics. So if it's possible to keep going with the topicals, I love having owners continue to do that. It is one of my favorite things. It is really, really satisfying. So tell me a little bit about yeast infections, because this is a little different than bacterial infections. Yeah, for yeast infections, it depends on the severity of the symptoms and whether that dog is otherwise healthy. Just like bacteria, it's still important to determine why that dog has yeast infections and and manage that underlying disease. In regard to allergies, there are actually some allergic dogs that very well might have a hypersensitivity or an allergy to the yeast malassezia itself. And so treating that can be really critical to managing that patient's symptoms. Yeah, I'll often mention to owners that the animal is infected with yeast, but we oftentimes see them be allergic to yeast too. So it's not just they're itchy because they're infected, they're extra itchy because they're having an allergic reaction to the overproduction of their body's natural yeast population. So it's important not only to treat the yeast, but also to work on addressing the underlying allergy. And I talked in episode eight on immunotherapy and malassezia or yeast are actually one of those things that we can work on desensitizing allergic animals to. So if you have an allergic animal and you're considering doing allergy testing, you know, this may be a great way to help get the itching under control if they have a yeast allergy. Um, How about if they've got severe infections with yeast that may not respond entirely to topical therapy? 
If I have a severe infection in an animal that's pretty miserably itchy, I will reach for an antifungal medication called ketoconazole. This medication can be a little tricky because it can affect the liver. Personally, I'm checking liver values really closely. Um, I tend to get a baseline liver value. And then if I'm continuing it for longer than four weeks or so, I tend to keep an eye on those going forward as well. Ketoconazole is also pretty tricky because it interacts with a long list of other medications. So it's really important that if your veterinarian is talking about using the medication ketoconazole, that you make sure that they are very aware of all other things, even supplements that you are giving your pet. Yeah, absolutely. Ketoconazole will affect the liver, which is the organ in the body that processes a lot of medications that we use. And so if we're using ketoconazole, it may make those concentrations of other medications in the body higher than they would be if the animal wasn't taking ketoconazole. So again, just having really good communication with your vet, talking with them about what the animal is receiving and what's going on with your pet is going to be crucial in having a positive successful outcome. And I will say, and I I think that I say this phrase more than any other, topical therapy is critical and extremely helpful. These yeasts live on the surface of the skin and we have access to that. Yeah, absolutely. And because the yeast live in those few surface layers of the skin, we can actually see that exfoliating, um, especially thick, chronically infected skin, can be really helpful in being able to clear a yeast infection. So sometimes, especially in those really thick neck folds that some of the larger allergic dogs have, you know, think about labs or German shepherds or golden retrievers where their skin on their neck just kind of comes together and traps all that moisture and gets really thick, I will have owners take a washcloth um, with the medicated shampoo on it and physically scrub that skin so that they're exfoliating those surface layers where the yeast live, but then being able to apply the medicated shampoo to the underlying skin to treat the yeast that's still there. Yeah, that's a great point. We can't treat through grime. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes in these really grimy areas, I will use actually Dawn dish soap to break that up. You have to be careful with that because over time that can be drying. But in the acute or early phases of treating them, sometimes that can be helpful to remove um, the debris so that the medication can access the skin surface. Yeah, that's a really good tool for breaking up a lot of the crust and grease that can be on the surface of the skin so that our medicated shampoo can be more helpful. And we do have a couple of great episodes coming up with another veterinary dermatologist, Dr. Megan Rock Painter, um, who's going to be talking about ear infections and getting into depth about those. So if you're interested in hearing more about ear infections, make sure you hit the subscribe button there so that you don't miss those episodes when they come out. We have talked a lot about skin infections, but I want to take a moment to just give you the opportunity to kind of reiterate some of the big takeaway points that you'd like pet owners to remember. Sure. There are two big takeaway points from this talk. Infections are super common and they can cause a pet to be extremely itchy. If we neglect to manage the infections, we often have a hard time managing that pet's itchy symptoms. And then we enter the dangerous territory of immunosuppression when we reach for more and more and more symptomatic medications. Often, I hear pet owners describe that medications to treat allergies, such as Apoquel or Cytopoint or Atopica, had initially controlled the pet's symptoms in the past, but those effects seem to be diminishing over time. And almost always, this is because that pet has developed an additional trigger. 
And secondary infections are usually the prime suspect. Once we treat the infection, that dog can almost always be managed again. This is what happened in Carolina's case. Her previous allergy medications were really no longer working, and so the solution was to reach for more potent medications, but this did not solve the problem. It created additional problems. Yeah, you're so right. I hear pet owners tell me all the time, yeah, Cytopoint really worked those first couple times it was given, but it stopped working or it only worked for a couple days the last time. And sure enough, when I start looking around and trying to evaluate what's going on with the skin or especially the claws, I find infection. And that's a big reason why our allergy medications like Apoquil or Cytopoint or Atopica or steroids no longer provide the pet with relief because they don't treat itch associated with infection. They treat itch associated with allergies. So addressing that infection is really crucial to providing your pet with relief. Absolutely. The second major takeaway is that antibiotic resistance is real, and it appears to be becoming more common in both human and veterinary medicine. It's really important that we are all responsible in our approach at dealing with a serious issue and realize that our choices do have impacts. When possible, we should really try to avoid antibiotics and focus our efforts on topical therapy because when that's used correctly, it works. We again see this in Carolina's case. She had no reasonable antibiotic options left to treat her skin infection, but her mom did not shy away from the task, and we were able to clear that infection without the use of more antibiotics. I love when pet owners are putting in the effort and they can see the dramatic results the way that the pet owner did in Carolina's case. I think that is so hugely rewarding, not only for the pet, but also the pet owner and the veterinarian who's working with them. I I don't think pet owners understand just how satisfying it is for us to see an animal doing so much better using a therapy that is uh, safe and effective and really just kind of life-changing for them. I do think it's important, though, that we communicate why and commend those owners for putting in that time and effort. It's a lot of work, but it does have significant payoff. I do keep a pack of gold star stickers in my drawer for those owners that are doing such a good job. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So if you are interested in seeing pictures of different types of skin infections, you can visit the website www.yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com for those pictures, as well as a transcript from today's episodes. You know, a lot of family veterinarians are very comfortable managing pets that have skin infections, but there is a link to the American College of Veterinary Dermatologists on the website under the resources section if you would like to consult with a specialist. And you can view the references for today's show in the show notes on the website as well. If your pet has had skin infection, I would encourage you to join the Facebook group Your Vet Wants You to Know so that you can talk to other pet owners. So I always like to end each episode with a segment called Scratching the Itch. Scratching the Itch is designed to highlight a product or a website, a human interest story, something that just provides relief or makes you feel good, hence Scratching the Itch. Dr. Webb, do you have uh, Scratching the Itch for us today? Yes, I, as you know, am fascinated by monarch butterflies. Um, They are really a 
canary in the coal mine of the overall health of our environment, and they have a fascinating life cycle. Monarch butterflies are reliant on one type of food for their young, so they only lay their eggs on milkweed, and baby monarch caterpillars only eat milkweed. And so there really is a grassroots effort of people creating monarch waste stations to help facilitate the continued existence of the monarch butterfly. I do this with my children. It is so, so fascinating and satisfying to see these butterflies continue their life cycle on my property. If you are interested in this too, you can find out how to make your own monarch way station at monarchwatch.org. Excellent. I'll have that link posted in the show notes so that people can figure out how to make themselves a monarch way station and help encourage the butterfly population. We've planted a bunch of milkweed in our garden about five years ago, and every year we get that milkweed coming back. And it's so fun to see the caterpillars crawl all over the milkweed and the butterflies come down into our patio and enjoy the flowers. And one of the things that I've really loved is seeing pictures that you share with us of the cocoons and your caterpillars as they start to come alive in the summertime. It is one of my favorite things. It truly brings me a lot of joy. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this information about skin infections with us. These were really, really helpful episodes, and I'm hoping that people get a lot of information out of them. Thank you so much for having me. And for everyone who's listening, I look forward to your next visit with your vet wants you to know. 